We focus now on two verses, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And these verses are all about our identity as the church of Jesus Christ who have taken on the identity of Israel in the Old Testament. You'll see that. And now are a kind of new Israel, not necessarily replacing the old and any particular destiny she may have in being folded as a group into the new Israel, but definitely the church today has inherited the blessings that were promised to Israel. And we as individuals may see ourselves here in an extraordinarily exalted way, and we'll see why that shouldn't make us proud, but rather humble. So, Father, show us who we are here. Grant that we would be amazed, we would be stunned, we would be humbled, we would experience a kind of reverential awe that you, in your great mercy and grace, have made us to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a chosen race, and a people of your very own blood-bought possession. Open our hearts to these things, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But you, and we need to set the stage here even before we read it, I think of, well, no, let's, let's read it first. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here is one of the most remarkably dense, identifying two sentences of the church and of what it means to be a Christian in all the Bible. And the, but you are a chosen race, is in contrast first with the, the vast nation among whom they live, very first verse in the book, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, and there's the word chosen, you are a chosen race, elect exiles. Now, this is why stressing who we are matters so much to Peter, because he knows he's writing to people who at that time were a beleaguered and persecuted minority in a vast empire of unbelief, and how easy it would have been for them to feel we're just nobody. We don't count to the world, and we don't count to God. And he is saying, oh, oh, no. Oh, you count to God. And then he uses these words here to draw that out. And the most, the most immediately preceding context, right here in the verses just before verses 9 and 10, we saw that we were coming to a living stone rejected by men. And so he's calling attention to the fact that we are 
serving a Savior who himself was small and rejected and persecuted, rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious, just like we are now chosen and his precious people. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. He's going to talk about a royal priesthood in the verses we're looking at today, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he draws out this Old Testament image in contrast, two kinds of people. Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes, that's one kind of people, in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, that's the other kind of people. Believe and not believe. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So they're rejecting that stone, but oh, they haven't succeeded in putting him anywhere but in the in the most significant place in the building, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's who they, Jesus is for those who do not believe. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you, so that's where we are now, but you, in contrast to the, to the empire and all of its persecuting crowds, and you, in contrast to those who have responded to the rejected stone by casting him out and counting Jesus of no worth. But you are a chosen race. Chosen race. Both those words are laden with significance. This choosing here is not owing to anything in us. We know that for several reasons. One reason is because if you go back to see where he's getting this language, some of it is coming from Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 8. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now, these are addressed to Israel, and Peter is saying that these Israelite distinctives now are enjoyed by the ones who are uh, in the Messiah by faith, Jesus Christ, so that the people of God today enjoy these things for themselves. You are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not, here comes the reason we can't boast in being chosen and why it should be a humbling doctrine. Election should be a humbling doctrine instead of a arrogance-producing one. It was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. Well, what is the reason then that he set his love on us and chose us? But it is because the Lord loves you. Now boil that down. Why has the Lord loved you? Because he loves you. That really is the answer. That's the way you talk when you're talking about unconditional election. What moved the Lord to set his love on you? His love for you moved him to set his love on you. In keeping with the oath that he swore to your fathers, he did the same thing to the fathers. Remember, Abraham was chosen not because he was a believer, but because he was a moon worshiper whom God freely chose to make a great nation. So 
chosen here is an extraordinary privilege, freely given, not um, based on our merit or our worth or our attractiveness or our own self-initiated faith. We, we weren't even in existence yet spiritually. If you go to chapter uh, 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, great mercy, he caused us to be born again. And this new birth is how we became a new race. How do you become a new race? Aren't there, you know, red and yellow, black and white races? Well, yes, but no, no, not not now. There are only two races. The firstborn... naturally, and the second born, the born again. The firstborn are of the human race of the old Adam, and the second born are of the human race of the new Adam in Jesus Christ. The, the, the implications of calling us a chosen race who have their origin in the great mercy of God through new birth that brings a new race into being are simply enormous. Red and yellow, black and white are precious ethnic distinctives, but they are not the essential identity of any Christian anymore. My whiteness or your blackness or redness or yellowness or whatever those, num- those colors are supposed to refer to in ethnicity, that's a precious thing. Nobody should be ashamed of their God-given ethnic origins or their racial distinctives, but they are not the, the key identity anymore. We are a chosen race by virtue of merciful new birth. We had not received mercy. Now we have received mercy. For the, so for two reasons, There's no boasting in this being chosen. The first reason is that in Deuteronomy, God loves us because he loves us, period. And the second reason is that this racial reality that has come into being through our being chosen is owing to great merciful new birth, not any distinctive in us. Then we are a royal priesthood. And this royal doesn't just mean that we serve a king but that we belong to the household of the king. We saw that in verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We're in the house of God. We are born into a new race, and we have kingly kingly blood in us. We belong to a kingly family, and hence we are a priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. We'll see more later about the aim of the priesthood. But right now, think of it. We are royal because not only we serve a king, but because we have been born into the family of a king, into the race of a king, and a holy nation. So if, if uh, royal gets at the dignity of our new identity, holy gets at the purity of of our new identity. We're set apart for God to be holy and pure, a people of his own possession. And so that takes us back here to chosen, and therefore we're his own 
possession. And so the enormous privilege and the trembling sense of wonder that God chose us, owns us, cherishes us as his possession, makes us a new race, makes us royal in belonging to the household of a king, sets us in an office of service and calls us to be pure and enables us to be pure. And now verse 10, I'm going to skip over verse 9, that's next time. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy is the origin of the new people of God. There's no boasting, therefore, absolutely none. So let's sum it up like this. The great mercy of God gives rise to he he chose us which gives rise to he caused us to be born again. And thus we become a new race with new identity. And thus we now serve as royal in the family of a king, priests. And the effect of that priesthood is in verse 5, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, which I think is a life of obedience. And in verse 9, what? That's next time.